this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, it is good to be back with you all. I'm very, thank you. I'm very excited. I think it's, <laughs> I've, I think this is the first maternity leave I've ever been really ready. I miss preaching. I, I miss that whole process. And so I'm very excited to be back with you all. Thank you all, by the way, for supporting us so well in this season. I mean, this entire year, sabbatical and maternity leave and having the baby and all of that, Freedom Valley supported us so well. I mean, pastor gifts and bringing us meals and just checking in on us. Thank you so, so much. And you supported all the speakers We've had so many different speakers this year, and they have all been excellent, um, but you, you loved on them, made them feel welcome and supported too, so thank you. Thank you so much for that. Please do, on, on the guest speaker note, please come out this Wednesday night. Jeremiah Stoddart is, is going to be, I specifically asked him to share mission stories, share stories from the mission field, the, the miracles, the casting out demons, the seeing people come to know Jesus. He, what he does for Mission SOS is he actually trains local pastors before the festival comes in. He trains them on what to do after to support new believers really well. And so then the festival comes and all the, the craziness happens and then they get to really show those new believers where to go to church, how to do this thing that just swept through town, right? And so that's his job. He has a lot of amazing stories. He and his lovely wife will be with us. So please come out this Wednesday. We're not doing a women's group and men's group. It's not going to be a typical first Wednesday. We'll all be in this room. Aaron has worship prepared for us, and uh, it's going to be a really good night. So come on out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Not to bring the mood down, but I've done a lot of funerals over the past few years. There was a period of time towards the end of 2020 where it felt like all I was doing was funerals there for a while. And as a young pastor, I hadn't done a whole lot of them yet. I, I felt like I wasn't doing them well. I mean, I struggled with like the formality of a funeral. I, was, I feel like I'm usually pretty down to earth. I like to relate to the crowd and all of that. And I felt like funerals were so formal. And like they should be formal though, right? Like I know many of you haven't crafted a funeral, but think through it a little. Like the feeling the weight of that moment and leading people through that moment felt like a big deal to me. And it felt so impersonal. For most of them, I had zero rapport with the crowd. I didn't know most of the people. It's so different from preaching on a Sunday morning where I know most of you, you know me, we have, you know what to expect, right? We have a relationship already. It's not, it's not how a funeral, and not anyone that I've done so far has seemed to go. And sometimes I don't even know the deceased. So it's very hard to build that rapport. And anyway, they always felt so awkward to me. And don't get me wrong afterward, I always was like, usually to Aaron, like, is that, was that okay? It felt so weird. He said, no, it was great. And I got compliments and people said, thank you, but it just wasn't sitting right with me. You know, that feeling you're your worst critic, right? But I'll tell you what, no matter how new I was, no matter how I felt about the service, 
It was always easier, is always easier to do a funeral when you know where the deceased is going, where they are now, right? When you're sure that the person that you're grieving is with Jesus, right? When you're sure you're going to see them again someday. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still grief. Grief is grief, but there's nothing like that feeling of knowing that you'll see them again someday. It is, and this is usually a verse that I share when preaching one of those kind of funerals, is we get to grieve differently as believers. We grieve differently, knowing that we're going to see them again someday. My dad, who has overseen way more funerals than I'm sure that he can probably count, uh, he used to say that the best gift that you can give your family is that feeling, knowing where you're going for eternity. The best gift you can give them is to be very, very vocal about your faith so there can be no question to your family that you have finished your race well. You've kept the faith, right? But why am I talking about finishing? Especially when we're in this, this goal series, it's, it's the first month of the year, we started off talking about resolutions in the beginning, right? Starting things. How many of you set resolutions this year? Set some goals at the beginning of the year? How many are already done for? They're goners. <laughs> it's the last Sunday in January. Goners, right? We're not even done with the month yet, and we don't usually finish our resolutions, right? So I want to finish this beginning with how to finish well, right? How did Paul get to the end of his life saying, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith? How did he get there? Well, most of us don't even get through the month with our goals, right? To finish well, I believe we have to plan well. We have to set goals well, we have to know how to start. And we've had so many great speakers this month and last, so many great thoughts and ideas sewn in to this congregation while I've been out. Grateful for each and every one of them. They all gave us a piece of this, how to do this well. But today I want to talk about finishing. So on this last week of goals, allow me just to drive some of these points home, okay? That's the plan for today, which by the way, this is the last week of goals. Next week, we're going to do sort of a belated rewind weekend. How many of you have been here for our rewind weekends in the past? We usually do them the last month of the year, that weird week after Christmas. I wasn't here, so I said, let's push it off. So beginning of February, we're going to do a rewind weekend and really look at last year. Well, um, may do a little like photo challenge again, like we did last year, some fun stuff. But also, I think we're not, I'm not maybe also always the best at celebrating what God has done. Right? I think it's really important that we actually look back a little and celebrate what God has done, because when you do that, it builds your faith for what he can do, right? So Rewind Weekend is, is really important to me. I'm excited about that next week. We're going to do that well next week, and then we're going to launch into a series about living with fire, being baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm very excited about what God is going to do with that, but just so you know, that's a little sneak peek. All right, are you ready? Let's launch into the last week of goals. Okay. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is a very small book. It's only four chapters. It's one of Paul's uh, shorter letters, really. And it's unique because most of his letters are written to whole churches, whole congregations, and they cover a whole lot of stuff. This one is written specifically to Timothy. 
It is a disciple letter, not a church letter. It is specifically to him as a minister of the gospel, as one of Paul's protégés, I guess, uh, his mentees. And so he, he tells him that his life is almost over. I mean, this is one of the last letters that he wrote, and he wanted to drive some points home to just Timothy. Okay, we get a sneak peek into this conversation. We're sort of a fly on the wall for this conversation. So I want to start off at the end by reading a couple of verses from the fourth chapter, starting in verse six. He writes, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul was amazing in his lifetime. I mean, he went from a murderous Christian persecuting zealot to an on-fire, passionate, single-minded missionary for Jesus. He, he was probably the greatest missionary of all time. And we live by his words still today, 2,000 years later. And here he is at the end of his life giving us some insight into how he did all that and finished well. He didn't lose his faith along the way. He made so many disciples, he sparked a movement that we're still living in today, and he kept the faith even to the end of his life. So there's some insights in this book about how to do that, how to remain faithful, even in the toughest of times, because let's be honest, Paul's life was not all rainbows and roses. He's writing this from prison, I mean, he was in and out of prison over and over, he was persecuted heavily. The Jews were desperate to silence him. The Romans were desperate to silence him. There were even a few times when they thought they had. He was left dead in a ditch somewhere. They thought the job was done, right? Kept throwing him in jail over and over. I mean, nothing would shut this guy up. But they tried hard. I don't know about you, but I've never been truly persecuted for my faith. I, there were some times in high school where I was made fun of and teased a little bit for some of my decisions. I remember that feeling really well. But it's nothing compared to what Paul went through and really what some a lot of Christians go through throughout the world today. I mean, America feels like it's getting darker, like, like they like Christians less and less right now, and we are moving into a bit of a post-Christian culture, but sort of like Europe has been for a while but it's still nothing like the persecution some Christians receive around the world. And so <clears throat> I don't have it nearly as bad as Paul did, and yet I probably complain a lot more than he did, right? I mean, I expected more amens on that one because we complain, don't we? We're complainers. And we don't have it nearly that bad. I think Christians, that we lose our faith so easily, I think in part because we're not challenged enough. We haven't had to sort of forge those beliefs in fire. We hold them sort of loosely. And so when a little bit of teasing comes along, we're like, no, 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 not me. <laughs> right? I don't know that guy, Jesus. Who is that, right? America is still incredibly free and persecution-free compared to a lot of the world, and I'm very grateful for that. But how do we get there like Paul? How do we finish well like he did? How, how do we make it to the end of our lives 
able to assure our families at our funerals exactly where we're going for eternity. But also manage to take some others along with us to heaven. Because I believe that is the definition of finishing well. Having a funeral where people can grieve differently, knowing where I'll be for eternity is my dream. A funeral where people can celebrate the, the contributions I've made to their lives. Not just what I took. Funeral filled with people who can credit their faith to me. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's my dream. That's my hashtag goal in life. Paul gives us a few insights here. We're going to skip around a little bit, but I'm going to pull out three insights for how he did this well and how he's trying to coach Timothy to doing this well. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 is where we find the first one. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan the flames, the fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, power, and self-discipline. Uh, Timothy had a genuine faith that Paul acknowledges here. A genuine faith. <clears throat> but a genuine faith, even a genuine faith, doesn't stay faithful on its own. He says we have to fan the flames, right? Fire dies out when it's not fed, right? Isaiah talked to us last week about living a brighter life. Uh, your light doesn't get brighter on its own. It doesn't stay bright on its own. It has to be fanned into flames. And the specific light that Paul is talking to Timothy about is his spiritual gift, right? Should we read it again? Verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. <clears throat> See, when I first read this passage, I thought it meant that faith itself needed to be fanned into flames. That we need to worship and read our Bibles and build a relationship with Christ that is on fire. And all of that is true, <clears throat> but it's not what this passage is actually talking about. Right? What it says is that Timothy has a genuine faith. He got it from his grandmother and his mother. And because of that faith, Paul is reminding him to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave him when Paul laid his hands on him. God didn't give Timothy fear and timidity that day. He gave him power, love, and self-discipline. And he gave him a spiritual gift. Right? Spiritual gifts aren't things to be hoarded to themselves. Right, spiritual gifts are purpose. They are purpose on planet Earth. They are how you serve other people. It's a gift straight from God. They have to do with why you were put on this planet. How you can help your fellow man and how well, they just aren't selfish. They're not for you. They're for other people. These are things like prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging. Things like giving and leadership and mercy and wisdom and words of knowledge and faith and healing. They're not for you, for the people around you. Right? These are gifts. These are the gifts we're meant to fan into flames. These are the gifts that are just embers when they're given to us. Just a little. Right? We, we step out a little and we start helping. We step out a little and we start leading. We step out a little and we start encouraging the people around us. But they're, they're small when they're given. They have to be fanned into flames. Right? A lot of us are athletic, 
but not a lot of us are athletes, right? A lot of us are born with legs, but we don't all run races, right? We have the tools, but we don't fan those into flames. We don't cultivate the skills and talents and muscles to run races, right? The gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit are just the start of something, they're meant to be fanned into flames. And we have to, in order to do that, we have to identify it. There is a uh, handy little tool, and it's just a tool. It's based on the Bible, but it's not the Bible. It's not the Word of God speaking to you. But the tool is, uh, I think it's spiritualgiftstest.com or something like that. I have it linked in the sermon notes. Uh, but it's just a, an online inventory you can take of how you interact with the world. And then it sort of tells you, here are your top three spiritual gifts, right? The ways that you give into the people around you. You can actually look those up and, and identify them. First step is identifying them. Right? Second is thanking God for them because it's not based on anything you've done, right? You have to be careful not to get prideful about those gifts and also not pine after someone else's. It's really easy to look at other people's gifts and say, oh, I want that one. Prophecy looks cool. It makes me look like I'm, I've got an inner, inner track with God, right? Or leadership. That's where I get to be on stage with microphone, right? I know that's not a lot of people's fantasy at all, but some of us were like, I need the mic. Give it to me. Don't pine after someone else's gift, but thank God for yours. The one that, you have been given. And then thirdly, we have to practice these. That's how we fan them into flames. We identify, we thank God for them, we practice them. Gifted people still have to practice their craft. Now, people that are naturally good at speaking uh, on stage, for example, public speaking, they still have to study other public speakers. They still have to practice. Right? When I first started doing this, I was not naturally good at it, I don't think. But I had to sort of stand in front of a mirror, literally, and practice going through like out loud with my notes. I practiced the flow of it. I found my voice eventually, right? You still have to practice. People, that's why the Bible says in, in is it Hebrews, I think I got that wrong, but it says, if you have the gift of encourage, encouragement, encourage others. If you have the gift of giving, give to others. Because we often, we, we hoard these things. We hold them tightly, Encourage other people if that's your gift. Give in to other people if that's your gift. Don't hold back. Practice them. All right? We have to fan the flames. We have to train hard if we're continuing with this athletic sort of running the race metaphor. All right? Using your gifts not only helps the people around you, but it builds your faith too. When I'm functioning in my gifts, I am happier. I am more effective than when I'm trying to do something that's not my gifting. Right? When I'm trying to do things that aren't my gifting, I'm robbing someone else in the church of being able to do theirs, to contribute to the kingdom. Paul didn't get to the end of his life saying that he finished his race well by hiding in fear and timidity, by holding his gifts close. He got there by practicing them, putting them into practice, using the boldness and power, love, and self-discipline the Spirit of God gave him. Right? To keep with that metaphor, that running the race athletic metaphor, we have to train hard, we have to work on our relationship with God, not just in it. Athletes train hard, right? The best ones train all the time. They may be the best in the world one year, but if they don't train, they quickly lose that status, right? 
We have to train hard to get to the finish line well. Paul worked hard at his craft, his spiritual giftings. He practiced them over and over. We can see that. And even in prison, he's writing. Even in prison, he's encouraging churches. He's uh, trying to fan the flame of the churches that he's already started, right? He's not sitting around saying, woe is me, God, why am I in prison again? How dare you? I was just doing what you asked me to do. No, he's writing to the churches. <coughs> he's staying busy. He's honing his craft. And thank God he did. Now, it sounds terrible, but I'm, I'm very grateful that Paul spent so much time in prison in his life. Because <laughs> if he hadn't, we wouldn't probably still be reading his words today. That's where he wrote his best letters. Right? And maybe that was the whole purpose of the prison time that he did, was God setting the stage for thousands of years later for the church. Paul couldn't have known that in that moment. Right? But he practiced his gifts. Over time, we tend to get more and more off track. Athletes have to keep running in the right direction. They, they uh, have to keep the end goal in mind. We tend to get off track sometimes. I believe this happens with so many believers, so many leaders. It's, you can see it more clearly with leaders, I guess, because it's more public. Uh, leaders get prideful over time sometimes. We begin to believe it's all about us. It all comes down to us. We, we begin to believe our own press, good or bad, both of it can be dangerous, <laughs> whatever it is, and we get off track, off the mission, off the goal. But we all do this sometimes as leaders, not just as believers, not just leaders. We, we think we're doing the right thing. We think we're serving God, but we actually start serving something or someone else. And the church is actually the biggest offender here, I think. Sometimes we begin to serve the church instead of serving Jesus. There is a difference. As I, as I get it, the, the church has so many needs. I, I really do understand it. Like we need so many things as a body to, to come together and fellowship together. The church has so many needs. It can be easy to get caught up in that. Like kids ministry probably needs a volunteer every single Sunday. You could get pulled there every Sunday, right? We could burn ourselves out when we live like that though. It's about serving Jesus first and everything else. Your ministry flows out of that relationship. That relationship has to flourish. It's not about getting caught up in religion, but in that relationship. Some of us begin to serve our gift rather than Jesus. I had to learn this all over again during maternity leave, by the way. Like, suddenly I was interacting with the church <laughs> much, much differently than usual. I was telling a couple people this morning, I think, I have never shown up to church on time. And not because I was late. <laughs> I, I've never been on time. Like, my entire life, I was a pastor's kid, guys, from birth. I've been early to church, hours early to church. Showing up on time was weird, uncomfortable, sort of. I didn't really like it. I came to, I come to church to preach, to teach, to serve, to give, to pour out everything I have in others. That's the way, I mean, we, even as kids, we were the ones setting up chairs and putting out the bulletins and we didn't come to sit around. <laughs> we came to work. That's how I interact with the church. What is this, this sitting thing? I don't, don't like it. I don't understand it. 
But over the past month, I, I came to church on time a few times, and it was weird. <coughs> Uncomfortable. Whenever I would inevitably get sucked into work, it actually felt better. Meaning, I am more comfortable giving into the church than receiving from it. And while that may be natural and good, it's not necessarily a healthy place to always live as a pastor because I need to be comfortable with both. I'm at my healthiest when I'm comfortable with both receiving and giving. It's a two-way street, this relationship, with God and with the church. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have to do this next point here well. Because to run a race well, you not only have to run fast, but you also have to stay in your lane. Let me show you what I mean in the metaphor here. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Even somebody guessed how to pronounce that name. I had to look it up. Fagellus. There's a baby name for you if you're looking for one. Pretty sure it's not taken. Fagellus and Hermogenes. I literally only included that verse just to make you all say that name. <laughs> Fagellus and Hermogenes. No, but verse 13 says, hold on to truth, right? Hold on to it. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. We are charged with carefully guarding truth here. And I said, what? Like it's, like it's something to, um, like it's wriggling away from my grasp. Like I have to pull it back all the time. Like truth isn't just lying around. I can just pick it up and hold it. It's actively trying to get away from me. That's how this seems to read, right? Hold on to truth. It's an active thing we have to do. It's, there's no passivity here. It doesn't just say know the truth or learn the truth or understand the truth. It says hold on to the truth as if truth is a cliff that we're just struggling to hang on to with everything we have. It's leaving our grasp every chance it gets. But if you think about it, that is the way it seems sometimes. We have to constantly remind ourselves of the truth. When we're struggling with guilt, for example, we have to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus paid the price for us. Right? That guilt wants to creep back in all the time. It's a constant reminder. When we're struggling with self-worth, we have to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus paid the price for us. He thought I was worth it to give his life for. When we're struggling with laziness, constantly remind ourselves, Jesus, he gave his life. How can I not read my Bible for 10 minutes a day? When we're struggling with grief, Jesus knew grief. He still paid the price for us. With fear, with anger, with unforgiveness, with bitterness, so many things want to crowd out the truth from our minds. But the truth is, the gospel fixes all these problems when applied properly and constantly over time. When we hold on to it with everything we have, it fixes all of it. It does. Because who could continue struggling with guilt knowing that Jesus paid 
paid the price so that you don't have to feel it. You don't deserve that. It was a gift. If you truly accept it, then you have to forgive yourself too. Who could continue struggling with self-worth knowing that Jesus thought that highly of you? To lay down his life, knowing that even if it were only you, he still would have done it. They had you in mind when he did it. Knowing that God created you in his image, that he knew you before you were born, that he designed you with a powerful purpose and singular gifting and power on planet Earth. Knowing the word... And what it says about you changes everything. That is the truth. That you are an overcomer. That you are redeemed from the hand of the enemy. That you are a child of the living God, forgiven and saved by grace through faith. This is who you are. We are co-laborers with God, the light of the world. This is the truth that we have to constantly remind ourselves of. That is struggling to get away from us every chance we get. We have to proclaim in our lives and hold on to that we have to carefully guard with everything we have because there is so much in this life that wants to mislead us and throw us off course. Only when we fully know and receive that truth can we run our race on course and get to the end as Paul did, finish well as Paul did. Back to the athlete metaphor, we have to love the rules of the game, the race, the sport, whatever it is. Right? We have to, to get back to basics in our training and remember why we love the game. There is no cheating in this race. You can't just say you know the gospel and love it and believe in it. You have to actually love it and believe in it. There is no easy way to the finish line, no shortcuts, no cheating. We have to hold on to the truth. Hold on to wholesome teaching. Don't get off track. This is why a good foundation of learning is so important. Why we're careful about theology. Which really just means that you have to, to believe the correct things about what the Bible says. Interpret it correctly because we get off track when we interpret it incorrectly. Start class is one of the ways that we do that at Freedom Valley. If you haven't taken it yet, please, please take it. it it's all online, so easy and practical. You can do it at any time. start. Go take it. It's full of great information where you can lay a solid foundation for your faith, living this life with Jesus Christ. Even if, if you haven't taken it in a while, Go take it again. We need to be, people need to be reminded way more often than we need to be taught. We have to remind ourselves. We have to hold on to truth. So to finish the, the race well, we have to fan the flames. We have to carefully guard the truth in our lives. And are you ready for the third piece of insight from Paul? And how to finish this well. Second Timothy 2, verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. What is Paul saying here? I, I thought a lot about this one this week because he seems to go in three completely different directions. Three completely different examples, soldiers and athletes and farmers. And I, Lord, help me understand. <laughs> I was literally taking verse 7, like, Lord says you will help me understand these things. Help me understand these things. What do soldiers, athletes, and farmers have in common? Why are we talking about all these three 
jobs, roles in particular. How does a soldier endure suffering? The soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. I began to think maybe Paul is trying to say that there's no way around it. There's no cheating in the kingdom of God. Soldiers go into their service expecting hardship. They don't expect to have it easy all of the time or they wouldn't be soldiers. They train, they work hard, they expect hardship and suffering. Civilians have different worries. We are free to worry about different things, really. Not soldiers. Athletes, I began to think that they must follow the rules. There can be no cheating to win the prize. They have to train hard, they have to endure suffering, build their muscles and grow their talent, which is why I'm not an athlete. But I'm not always willing to endure that suffering, right? They will quickly succeed when they do, when they're willing to endure that suffering. There's no way around it. No cheating, no get-skinny-quick scheme ever works, I'm sorry to tell you. It just doesn't. Eat less, exercise more. That's the long and short of it. And hardworking farmers. Farmers know some suffering. They know that the ground can be hard and unforgiving, that there's no cheating your way through a season. You cannot rush a harvest. You cannot cheat your way through farming. You just can't. You suffer. You wait. You patiently watch, tend your fields. All necessary to the farming process. So at the end of it, though, there is fruit. He makes that clear. If you don't give up, if you expect some hardship and suffering, if you follow the rules, there is fruit. There is a prize. It hit me this week. Sin is essentially wanting to cheat those rules. It's, it's your attempt to take the easy way out. Your own way instead of God's way. The only way to make it to the end of this race well is to keep our focus on Jesus. For soldiers, they get the pleasure and approval of the officer who enlisted them when they keep their focus on that. And for athletes, they get the prize and they keep their focus. For farmers, they get the first of the fruit. They all have to keep their focus on the right thing. What I think Paul, what all this boils down to is Paul is saying that finish, finishing the race won't be easy. Know that going in, but there is goodness on the other side. Stay focused. How many of us have been tempted by the easy route? Because sometimes we can even convince ourselves that God wants us to take the easy route. He wants me happy, right? He wants good, easy things for me. Living together before marriage is easier, right? Just doing what my spouse wants me to do all of the time. That's, that's easier, right? Not tithing. That's easier, right? Giving into my every sexual desire. Easier, right? Not reading my Bible at the end of a long day. God wants me well rested, right? convince ourselves really easily. Sure, in the short run, easy peasy. God still loves you. He may even still bless you for a while because we serve a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. But the Jesus way is not always the easy way. There will come a time when Jesus will ask you to follow him. And are you in or are you out? Are you on the path of running the race behind me or are you running your own race? Decide now, I think Paul is saying. 
decide. If you're going to get to the end of your life like him, be able to say you ran the race well. You finished it well. You have to decide now. Decide not to cheat your way through the most important relationship in your life. Some of us right now are tempted to take the easy route. We're even convinced ourselves it was a good and godly decision to do so. It's not just a, it's just not a good time to rock the boat right now. Things we say. But listen to Paul sum it all up here at the end of his letter to Timothy. Verse 1 in chapter 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. I solemnly urge you, he says, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear they will reject the truth and chase after myths but you should keep a clear mind in every situation don't be afraid of suffering for the lord work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry god has given you As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Here's why all of this matters. If we plan to win this race we call life, then we have to know what the prize is. That the prize is the crown of righteousness that only comes from Jesus because this life is short, but eternity is long. I want each and every one of you there with me. That should be our deepest desire. That the crown of righteousness is the prize. I not only want that for me, but I want that for you too. My plan is to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith, to do exactly what Paul recommends here. So I'm going to continue to fan the flames in my life. Not only of my faith, but of my spiritual gifts. I'm going to continue using them to the best of my ability to lead others to Christ. I'm going to continue preaching and and teaching and trying to get better at it, to, to continue to teach the Word of God and help people feel comfortable and accepted because those are my spiritual gifts. Preaching, teaching, wisdom, hospitality. I'm going to lean into those. Fan the flames of those. And none of those are about me. And yet I fully believe that if I let any of those go, I'll lose a big part of my relationship with God. Because when I use them, I feel fed. I feel taken care of. I feel closer to God. I also plan to carefully guard the truth in my life. To make the Bible the biggest and loudest voice in my life. Not the people around me, not another leader or speaker. Just this week, I heard of a pastor who has been a loud voice in the Christian community start to teach some bad theology. And it's all pastors can talk about this week in the little pastor groups that I'm a part of. To the people who've been hanging on to this guy's every word, that's a big deal world-shattering deal. Right now they're questioning everything he ever taught them and all they knew when they thought about the Bible that he taught them. To me, I don't care that much. 
Because no author, no speaker, no leader, no commentary, no podcast has ever been a higher, more important voice in my life than the word itself. All the other leaders, they're human. They're going to fail at some point. I expect that. I'm not holding anyone to this perfection standard where I hang on their every word, where their word is gospel. I have the gospel. The word of God itself is the loudest, most important voice in my life. That's why I need it. Not sermons, not podcasts, not constant other people's regurgitated words. But the word itself, carefully guard the truth and the voices that speak into your life. Not that listening to podcasts is a bad thing. You need that too. But the Bible, the Bible, the words from heaven itself should be the loudest. I plan to keep my focus on that gospel. Nothing should have more importance in my life than that. In fact, everything should be seen through it through the lens of the gospel. My job, my marriage, my parenting, my finances, the way I take care of myself, my friendships, the way I spend my time, it all has a place and that place is somewhere behind the gospel, within the gospel. Jesus is is not only the first relationship in my life, but he's in every relationship in my life. If I keep my focus there and only there, There's no way I won't get to the end of my life like Paul. Being able to say that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Whatever else you say at my funeral, you all, hopefully. Can I say hopefully you're there? It's weird. Whatever else you all say at my funeral, let's just say you're there. You will be able to say that I love Jesus with my whole heart. And there will be no doubt where I will be for eternity. I can't wait to worship Jesus for eternity. There are lots of ways that you could respond to this message today. But allow me to make some suggestions. Maybe some of you are are here saying, I I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. Or if I do, I, I, I haven't been using them. I need to use them. If it's, if it's encouraging, I need to start encouraging people loudly and recklessly with abandon. If it's giving, I need to start giving. If it's teaching, I need to find a way to teach. I need to find out what my spiritual gifts are and I need to use them more. Or maybe you need to make the Bible the loudest voice. Start listening to it, reading it, diving into it, studying it. Not always other people's words, but it itself. Pick a book in the Word. Ask God to to lead you. Pick a book and start diving in. I need to make the Bible the loudest voice in my life. Or maybe it's number three, that I need to make the gospel the primary focus of my life. Maybe it's been your relationship, you know, your significant other. That's been the primary focus. Or your kids. Good things, by the way. These are blessings. They're good things. They're not bad things. Often it's good things that take our attention away from the gospel. Not bad things. It's good things, but they just don't deserve the driver's seat of your life. They're in the car. They're just not in the driver's seat. The gospel needs to be the primary focus of your life, and everything else is seen through that. 
All right, let's pray as we consider how to respond to this today. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word. Thank you that it's so useful to teach us, to correct us, to guide us into all truth. Thank you that you've given us all the tools we need to finish this race well. Father, help us do that today. Whether it's it's a little bit of repentance that we need in our own lives, whether it's a, a focus shift, small changes that will make a big impact. God, lead us in the right direction. Convict our hearts and minds today. Lead us in the right direction. You are so good, so holy, almighty God. Help us focus in on you in everyday life. Finish our race well. Use us, God. Make us more effective than ever. Preaching the gospel. Seeing our friends and neighbors come to know the freedom and the peace and the hope that we have in everyday life. Lead us, God. Direct us. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes still closed. I'm going to read through those responses one more time. And not individually, but as a group, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If there's one of those to respond to, I'd like to pray for you today. And then I'd like to give you an opportunity, if you haven't received Jesus, to receive him today. Number one, I need to start using my spiritual gifts more. Number two, I need to make the Bible the loudest voice in my life. Or number three, I need to make the gospel the primary focus of my life. If you would say, one of those is me, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Father, I thank you for every single hand raised. Thank you that we are responding to the word. We're going to put these into practice today yet in our lives and really learn what that means. God, reveal spiritual gifts within us. Help us step out in faith and courage and boldness to use those spiritual gifts. Help us learn how to make the Bible the loudest voice in our lives and help us pursue the gospel with everything that we have every single day. In Jesus' name. One more response today, and that is just Jesus. If you want to respond to Jesus today, to give your life in service of him, it is the best decision, most courageous decision you can make in your life. It's to say, I'm no longer living for me because me isn't working, right? Me only works for us for so long. Serving the, the me monster doesn't get us very far. Jesus wants to give you a purpose and a plan in this life. He wants to shower you with the love of the Heavenly Father. That's why he paid the price 2,000 years ago. And all we have to do today is to say, yes, I'm in. That's what we call it around here. I'm in. I'm into following Jesus. I'm into the love of the Heavenly Father. I'm into to figuring out what it means to follow him. If that's you today, I'm not going to you know, call you up front or, or tell everybody to close their eyes, but just raise your hand boldly. I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you keep those up for just a minute. The ushers just have a tiny card to help you with that decision. Keep those hands up for just a moment. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus today. I'm ready to make that decision. Father, thank you for each and every decision made for Jesus today. Bless each and every person, whether they're here in the room or they're watching online. Shower them with love. Put your arms around them this morning. Help us celebrate what you've done. God, help us, each and every one of us, get to the end of our lives and, and be able to say that we finished it well. 
that we had the faith to sustain us, to get us through, and that we brought some people with us. God, help us as be bold. That is my prayer for this year for Freedom Valley, and something we're going to talk about next week, but that we would be bold in our preaching of the gospel this year, that we would see signs and wonders and miracles, not just here in this room at these altars, but out in everyday life, that coming through the doors, we would be able to tell each other about the amazing things that God has done at our workplaces, in our homes, at our schools. God, shower us with your love. Help us give that to the people around us. Help us finish our race well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 